0: On the Empire Podcast this week We don't get our ass to Mars To discuss Len Wiseman's remake of Total Recall No, we do it right here We hold each other's hands through a folly of scary films We welcome comedy anarchists Tim and Eric into the pod booth And we chat to the man with the best helmet in the movies This side of Michael Fassbender It's Judge Dredd himself, Mr Carl Urban Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt And welcome to another Stuff to the Gills edition Of the Empire Podcast The movie podcast that just saw Richter At the party this week, as ancient tradition dictates, I'm joined by three of the few Empire staffers who haven't yet taken out a restraining order against me. Although there's always time. First up is a leader of the political wing of the Empire podcast, whose voice will now be overdubbed by an actor. It's Helen O'Hara. How are you?
1: This is not a political podcast. This is not a
0: political podcast. So we need we need to sync that up. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. Damn it. How are you good?
1: I'm all right. I can't believe you're still telling that Michael Fassbender helmet joke. It works. It works.
0: If something works, I hammer it into the ground until (laughs) it is dead. I can't believe anybody's still using the armless joke. Oh, permanent. No one's used that armless joke. It's good. That was two good jokes for the price of one. Right there. <laughs> uh, next, we have one of the Dissemlian boys. It's hard to keep track of which is which. But uh, this week, we're joined by the Buffy devouring monster that is Nick Dissemlian. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Chris. I'm on season seven. Thanks for asking.
2: I've Hi. almost finished, although there are, I'm told, some comic books to read. Yeah, there, I've there are. i finished <laughs> season eight. Has he gone into season nine yet? I'm nine. He?
1: Yeah. I'm nine yet. He's gone to season nine. I've got some season eight if you want it.
0: Mm-hmm. Where will it end? What mm-hmm. right. what made you start off from watching Buffy from from scratch?
2: Uh, I'd seen the odd episode and liked it, but I guess it was the Avengers. Probably seeing that, mm-hmm. liking it, realizing I hadn't seen it, and I haven't seen Firefly all the way through either. So that will be next. It's well
1: good. There's only 14 episodes. Come yeah. on, man. Come on. I've
3: seen the pilot like three times. <laughs> <laughs> I watched them all when I was ill.
1: Yay! Mm.
0: You're Did it make Ill. you
1: better? Yeah.
3: Um, no but it was good
1: Okay, okay yeah. good
0: yeah. Uh, Last but not least The voice you just heard Is a man who likes to think of himself As the officer's Colin Farrell lookalike. All I can say is I hope there's no Dan Jolin sex tape Hey Dan Isn't there Chris I don't know Dan Isn't there I don't know Dan uh... I've blocked it from my memory
3: uh, <laughs> There isn't is there I'm not saying Okay, good, 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 good How are you, you alright? I'm good, thank you very much And I'd just like to point out that, uh, that Colin Farrell looks like me Okay, not I look like Colin Farrell Who's me. older? Please get that straight uh, Me So he does look like you He indeed Okay, yes. only yeah, he That's came out right
1: That's really mean <laughs> what? But also true <laughs> what? I'm just saying Okay uh,
0: He's Irish No yeah. more small talk Helen, Okay. all right, it's time to take questions for you lot out there. You've been tweeting and Facebooking and emailing us all week. At Johnny Orm asks, has anyone ever had an entire cinema to themselves? I saw Miami Fice on my own with two ushers.
1: (laughs) Um, I have had this a few times because I used to have one of those um, uh, unlimited cards for a certain cinema chain. And also when I went to cinema in France, it happened all the time because I would go in the middle of the day and there'd be nobody else there. And it was fine uh, if you had the cinema to yourself What was weird was If you had this, you, the cinema to yourself And one other person came in And sat down right oh, next to you Especially if awesome it's Dan like, Or Fred Willard I think it was Dan actually
3: Oh
0: come on No no love for Fred Willard joke?
1: Oh. No
3: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice it Someone said my name So I paid, paid attention to that <laughs> <don't>, instead Dan, Someone <laughs> said my name Dan? Dan? all you. I think it was an insult But I, st- I, st- I still preferred it
2: <laughs> I have a story I have a story. It's a bit <laughs> it's a bit name dropping. Oh, please tell. I yeah, went good. I went to a screening of D Lovely the uh, Kevin Klein film. I'm aware um, of it. And I turned up a few minutes late and it turned out it was only me and John from Ross and so he was waiting for me to arrive, which was properly embarrassing. Oh, okay. yeah. And yeah, he didn't sit next to me, he sat a couple of rows behind and said something to me halfway which I can't repeat. Okay. It's a, it's a good story.
1: <laughs> it's one of my best
0: stories. See, I know what he said to you. All right. So uh, you know that's
3: what really makes it a really uh, good story. One want for the kids. One yeah,
0: for, yeah. It'll grandkids. be in my. It'll be in my book. Uh, Dan,
3: have you ever been in the cinema on your own? I shudder to ask. I have actually. I have. Um, and this isn't a kind. This is this is childhood story. How are the duck? Oh. Yeah. I went to the cinema. I was one of those four or five people <laughs> who went to the cinema and saw How are the duck during his UK theatrical run and I actually quite enjoyed it my god yes how That's young amazing. were you yeah I was sort of 12-ish okay. 13-ish that kind of like you watch any rubbish and think it's pretty good so it's being I kind of like the demon monsters I thought they were quite cool and I, and I liked um, uh, Jeffrey Jones's performance even though I wasn't aware that he was Jeffrey Jones at that time
0: oh well, he's always good
3: stuff yes he always indeed. liked Geoffrey Jones so yes. do you go I to the
2: cinema on your own a lot something I don't really do
3: um, well, actually, I suppose I haven't answered that question entirely. Honestly, it was just me and my friend who I went to see it with. It's null and void. Is that is that
0: null? <laughs> we'll delete that story. Or later. Can it just be no? Yeah, but Nick, to be fair, your story was you went to a screening. Yeah. So this guy, you know, Johnny and Jonathan Clinton Ross was in the same room. Yeah. You, he's, yep. he's paid to see it. So have you ever paid to see a film and no one's been there? Uh, no. No. Okay. No. Hmm. All right. So we can move. So, so straight, so my, my story, next story, entirely. It's, re- no. It's still so better than dance.
1: Just what? me then no okay good
0: no Helen uh, well I and two other friends went to see Executive Decision in Belfast uh, years and years and years ago but that's one Again. more person than my story
1: friends yeah. I don't have friends have I ever had an
0: entire cinema to myself yes but it just happened that two people I knew were in the cinema as well <sighs>
1: no does not Not good enough
0: Helen wins it's <laughs> for her sad and lonely tale the there we go yeah, this is why we have your voice overdubbed uh, at Rick Adelsey blows the whole thing wide open With a shocking allegation He says Harrison Ford Doesn't believe in Swansea (laughs) I don't believe in Harrison Ford
1: Harrison Ford once went um, On a barge holiday Around North Wales Didn't he? He must believe in Swansea
0: Alright I don't believe Ever a second I I think Harrison Ford Does believe in Swansea He does believe in Swansea He does believe in Swansea Okay At (laughs) Kyle underscore Travis Asks Remember the Batman Versus Superman poster 2013 in I Am Legend Was this ever possible Or
3: just wishful thinking It was JJ Abrams did a script McG was going to direct it Then it wasn't going to happen That wasn't Superman vs Batman Was it? That was just a yes, Superman it origin.
1: was
3: No I don't think it was Yes it was And then sure? no, and sure? then Wolfgang Peterson, Wolfgang Peterson yes, Got okay. attached yeah. And they got in a new script Which was written by Andrew Kevin Walker Who, who did Seven okay. And then that got rewritten By Akiva Goldman so, um, And, uh, and do you know J. J. Who they were talking about casting? Do you know the casting? Colin Farrell No
1: Josh Hartnett well he was,
3: he was in it yeah Josh Hartney was they had lined up Superman but you know who they, li- who they had lined up for Batman mm-hmm. I forget Christian Bale no way oh
1: yeah what? get out of town <laughs> yep
3: go
4: up <laughs> thanks
0: Nick <laughs> so hang on the J.J. Abrams McGee thing because yeah. I thought J.J. Abrams wrote that Superman script for, for McGee mm. that was of the in Indical News and that effectively derailed the project
3: well is that maybe they all got actually- kind of mixed up and melded up maybe elements of the JJ thing went into this one and that one because there was all this stuff I think the one that they ended up with the Akiva Goldsman one actually had kind of like Batman had been retired for five years oh my so God. it was Batman after a break from being Batman coming back Akiva else. Goldsman is a visionary genius isn't he um, he really is I, I, I truly think I can't think of anything that he could do that's associated with Batman that in any way would have been bad indeed or, or indeed uh, yeah or Robin Absolutely. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't think of anything myself. It With the bald head. No. Nope. No. No, can't. I can't think of it at all. Well, can't
1: I'm think. glad we've cleared that one up. Yep.
3: Yes, we certainly have. I, I, the th- I think it was a uh, Bane. Just a, just a Bane? Bane. Bane was in it. I know he was in it. He was. I, I saw
0: Batman and Robin twice at the cinema. On your own, alone, both <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. times.
5: I went <laughs> a They'd the looked up time. for the night and gone
0: home. <laughs> yeah. At Yo Soy Rob. Cafathos Yeah Is that right? I think so That's the Spanish pronunciation
1: Assuming he's Spanish And not South American Okay
0: and that means I am Rob Cafathos That's amazing He says in response To something that happened last week uh, Ghostbusters was scary But I was much more scared When Figo's face Popped out of the painting In the sequel Now Every time we've talked About Ghostbusters 2 or Naked Gun Two and a Half in the podcast Nick <laughs> who actually genuinely like a loon believes they're better than the originals <sighs> is never here to defend himself So I'm always just outside screaming the, <laughs> the mics don't pick it up your face always emerges out of a painting um, so okay here you are Ghostbusters 2 is better than Ghostbusters discuss you big mental well yo soy Rob Cavazos uh,
2: has, <laughs> has put his finger on it he's got it exactly right because I think it's a scarier film I think Vigo is genuinely a better villain is, does that make me crazy lock me up
0: no you, you can th- you can think of Sorry.
2: elements of Ghostbusters 2 are
0: better than to make think the whole thing is better it's yeah. just
2: mental it's got a it's got a river of pinks, evil pink slime
0: you're just listing things it's, it's got a
2: yeah great things great things <laughs> I you know I love Ghostbusters the original but I also really like the second one and I don't think certainly don't think it's any worse and This is a man it, backtracking furiously. In some ways, better. No, I, I really like it. And uh, one of the best moments of my life was when I got to go to ILM in San Francisco and get my picture taken with Vigo. Wow, was he just standing there? Yeah, it was a bit creepy. <laughs> yeah. This is the painting. Presumably not, not the actor who plays it. Oh, no, it was the painting. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> does, does no one else agree with me? I no. actually
1: really like it. I think it gets a huge amount of stick that it doesn't deserve. Um, I, I think I've a not, big
2: part of that comes from Bill would, Murray not liking it.
1: I would, I would completely not in any way say it's better than the original. I do think that's cracked, but I really, really like it.
0: It's a good uh, film. It's better than the rap it got on, on release, and Fankman is fantastic in it, but it's not better than the original.
3: Is that the one with the creepy little bloke who was in Ellie McBeal? Yes. Yes. I don't remember it very well, I yes. have to confess. Well... Revisit it. Mm. It is you, it you was, it was the so? Godfather is it Part a, 2. Okay. Of, of fantasy, ghost horror, family adventures. Ghost.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, I usually pop that one on instead of the first one. So, anyway. So, if there is anyone out there, anyone at all, who agrees with me, please write in because I feel really lonely.
0: Okay, so uh, thanks for all your missives. Uh, now it's competition time. Bit of a catching up to do in this one as we have two competitions to nail this week. The first one is the Matthew McConaughey competition where one listener can win a poster version of the shirtless bongoose McConaughey illustration we ran in the last issue. The ridiculously easy question was, in which TV show did Hollywood's foremost naked jazz percussionist play himself? The answer was, of course, Sex and the City. I don't ever recall seeing that episode, but that's what it said in the IMDb, <laughs> the so there we go. Uh, the winner is... Thank you. (laughs) Lauren Payne. Competition 2 was for the Studio Canal collection on DVD, which included Orson Welles' The Trial. Three copies were up for grabs, and they were won by Tim Harris, Dara McGrath, and Rebecca Toneri who correctly identified that the trial was based on a novel by Franz Kafka. Congratulations to Lem. This week's competition is Expendables themed to stand a chance of winning three Blu-ray copies of the first Expendables movie along with three Expendables 2 t-shirts in the size of your choice, I'm hoping, uh, and three Expendables 2 themed bottle openers. Uh, I've got one on my desk. It makes me feel manly as I prize a lid of a bottle of Coke. Uh, Then simply answer the following ridiculously easy question. What is Jason Statham's character name? in the Expendables movies do you know does anyone here know <laughs> I know the answer yes I know the answer and I nearly said it I know <laughs> you didn't it was like I was watching you okay to enter send in your answer along with your name and address to podcast at empireonline.com and who knows if you win maybe you'll get your prize by Christmas to get in touch with us also you can use the same email address or tweet us at empire magazine use the hashtag empire podcast or you can message us on Facebook we look forward to hearing from you we do we do Uh right coming up it's only bloody Tim and Eric no not Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner of Working Title now it'd be stupid having those two in a movie podcast um what well, no no it wouldn't no it oh, no. quite
3: interesting because they've contributed so much to, to
0: British, British film I would listen to that yeah that's oh. a very good idea noted okay let's get them in Uh it's the other Tim and Eric right Tim Heidecker and Eric Werheim are an anarchic comedy duo imagine Fick Reeves and Bob Mortimer but much more sinister, whose surreal comic sketches have earned him a cult following through their TV show, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. They've now made the leap to the silver screen with their debut film as writers, actors, directors, key grips, etc, etc, etc. Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie didn't cost a billion dollars, but it's one of the darkest, most bizarre comedies to come along for a while. They popped into the pod booth last week to talk to Nick and myself about their big screen adventure. Delighted to be joined In the pod booth By uh, Tim Heidegger And Eric Wareheim uh, the, the geniuses Behind Tim and Eric's Billion dollar movie Welcome to London Because this movie Launched in Sundance Last yes. year And I, I, I remember reading About a quite tempestuous First screening At Sundance Where people were Yelling at the screen And the Q&A Was quite
5: fiery There was I mean yeah during the first screening at sundance you have to realize that a lot of people go there to to go to a premiere a lot of a lot of ski bunny moms you know moms in their mid-60s go to this thing and you know there's a couple moments in our movie that moms or should not be watching this and they they you know we would see full rows get up and walk out but you know it makes sense for them not to want to experience that
0: yeah but was that, was that a strange experience for you guys as well? Because you make a comedy that clearly defies people. Right. So do you expect reactions like that? Or do you hope for reactions like, like, like you got?
6: Yeah, I think we... Um, I don't know if we um, want those kind of reactions necessarily, but I think we expect them. It was the first time ever we were showing anything we've ever made in sort of this neutral ground you know if we're showing live screenings of things where our fans are coming we pretty much know that they're there because they want to be there and they are fans so this was the first where we had a a lot a lot of the audience was coming in really literally off the street Mm -hmm. not really knowing the sensibility so um i think we we thought yeah it's probably gonna cause some some ire it's fine. You know? you know,
5: and I also think it's like it's not like your traditional comedy where you're going to chuckle every three minutes. It's like oh, there's a roller coaster ride, there's some moans, and there's some horror screams, which is like <laughs> at making this is really fun to be in a room with people, you know, yeah. that are so grossed out that people are closing their eyes or,
6: you know. Yeah, so it's a weird thing because obviously Eric and I, the people that made this movie, mm-hmm. our fr- a lot of our friends, people around us, like this kind of humor, yeah. and like what you know, we we think it's funny. Yeah. But there are people out there where it just doesn't connect, and it just they can't get their head around what you know. It's like it's like we're speaking a different language or something. And so I can a- appreciate that it must be very frustrating mm. for them. Mm. And I think people take comedy very personally. And oh, yeah, and I think some people think that we're getting away with so we're cheating in some way. <laughs> you know, they're really they're really like we've we're slapping them in the face or something with with our stuff. Um, so yeah people get mad about it yeah there are kind of points where what you guys do kind of intersects with what David Lynch does
2: and the Robert Loggia's performance in this film is you know that could be from Inland Empire or sure.
6: a movie like that we actually did take all his scenes from, from outtakes <laughs> of <laughs> a David Lynch movie that was never produced
5: we rotoscoped him out and plugged him in we had, we had to write this scene could around could easily that. have done that yeah, I mean, David Lynch's movies were an inspiration for us in the sense that it's not quite a drama; it's not a horror movie. There's funny parts in it. You know, it's it's more of its experience that yeah. you know they, we want to set up, and his performances in those movies were. We knew he could go there in that evil, dark, mm. yeah. scary, yeah. lunatic kind of way. And we're
6: At like, this stage, I think Robert Loja understands that when he's being cast, he knows what to deliver. He knows, oh, okay, you want me to go big. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think I'm right in saying this is the biggest he's ever got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how did you direct him? And did you know him beforehand? How did you kind of pitch yeah. this to him?
5: We worked with him on a, a cartoon called Tom Goods of the Mayor that we did um, many years ago. And... Um, but we, we treated him like a king. You know, everyone is just running around. How can we help you, Mr. Loggia? You know, gave him a lot of respect. And and I think, you know, he knew he was doing a comedy, but I think he looked at those lines on that when he came to set. It was like, oh, <laughs> this is the first time I'm looking at these things. A lot
6: of exclamation
5: points yeah. in the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
6: Because you also have... You,
0: it's a fantastic cast in this. You've got lots of great comedians, but as well, you've got people like William Atherton right. in supporting roles. Can you talk about that process and finding people where, where did William Atherton come from is that Love of Ghostbusters Die Hard what is,
6: what is that yeah well we kind of always have this sort of theory about casting where you have three different kinds of people that we work with you know one category are like the funniest people ever that are around right now so the top of the list you know Zach and mm-hmm. Will Ferrell and those type John C. Riley, and then when we, when we want a part to just be a like a, a serious role, we mm-hmm. try to hire a real serious actor, like a, the best actor we could that fits that role. And then the third category, obviously, are people that shouldn't be on television at all <laughs> 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 or in films. So uh, Atherton and Loja were both like these great character actors that yeah. are, ex- are have played those kind of parts in real movies many, many times, and we knew that they would it would bring a, a certain realism to those scenes mm. uh, and and give you a break from sort of the You know, comedians being funny moments in the movie.
5: Yeah, they're almost like the straight men in the movie, in a sense, because you you're like, okay, I understand that these guys are trying to get these other guys doing something strange. You know,
0: it's a a very interesting phrase you said there that you know they've 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 appeared before in real movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) How much of this movie was you two guys sitting down and going, okay, we have to make a movie, it has to have a conventional narrative, but at the same time, doing what you do. On you know Tim and Eric Awesome Show, great job, which is you know, deconstruct what happens on TV and and and
6: deconstruct movies with it with this film. Yeah, that's exactly the process. We n- knew we wanted to make a movie, and we knew that we didn't want to make a sketch movie because we've just never seen that really work out too well. So yeah, as as much as Awesome Show is about television, this is sort of about movies and about what it's like to watch a movie, and and so yeah, we we knew we needed a story to get you through the movie. Mm-hmm and uh and then we tried to build it in a way that had as many of our kind of jokes in it as possible
5: yeah at the same time we tried not to think about other movies and we tried to creatively make something in, in the style that we've made everything before just, we just get together and start brainstorming ideas you know and kind of where they go is mm. where they go rather than being like well we need some sort of arc here there was some of that in the movie but it was pretty much written just like our, our sketch show the awesome show Did
6: you start with the title Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started with, we want to make a movie and what's the movie going to be about? And that that was one of the titles that came up and said, uh-huh. okay, now we have to work, work forward from that idea. What does that mean? How does it, where, where is the, where does the money come in? And, uh, you know, and,
5: and living in Hollywood kind of informs those kind of thoughts a lot is you're constantly around people talking about how much money th-
0: what th- it, it grows. Yeah, it's and... like
5: kind of disgusting. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to big big f you to all that whole idea <laughs> of like this is going to be our you know creatively a little different but still kind of focus on that idea of making money and yeah this big budget thing cool
2: you guys are really good at kind of recreating the production values of really crappy looking kind of cable tv shows <laughs> yeah is that something that you guys grew up with loving that kind of you know watching late night tv obscure channels and getting obsessed with that
6: yeah, I mean, we both came from different childhoods. We didn't have the exact same childhood, but we. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up with local, not so much cable access, but local television and crappy commercials. Mm-hmm. And, and then a little bit later in, in uh, college, we discovered all these tapes that would get passed around and, you know, then the internet and uh, TV carnage and things like that that had a great reference.
5: Yeah, and a lot of it is literally Tim and I trying to figure out how to edit. And shoot and do a green screen like by looking through manuals and and, <laughs> and a lot of our early stuff would look so crappy, mm. you know. And I would the show Tim and edit, yeah, and Tim would just be like, <laughs> "Leave it, just leave it," you know. We literally, I taped over this per, this little girl performing this ballet, um, an ice skating thing, and we just kept it in there, you know, just a, a nice cutaway. So <laughs> it sort of worked.
0: Because, again, that's something that comes up in this movie. I mean, the, the, the Dobis uh, video was just absolutely <laughs> yeah. spot on. There are little nods to self-help videos as well. Yeah. Um, how much fun is that to, to do for you guys? Do you still very much do it yourselves,
6: even though you've oh, got no. a, a crew behind you and everything? <laughs> no, we've passed along some of that responsibility to, you know, well, we've got a couple of great editors that we've been working with now for since the beginning of Awesome Show, and you know we Eric and I started with a bunch of sh- shorts that we had made and and kind of taught uh, these guys our style and uh then they bring so much to it their own style Doug Loosenhop is genius as well just make making trying to make us laugh and and then we'll kind of go back and push him to go further and you know
5: yeah there's really no it's just especially on our sketch show there's no rules when mm. it, you know sometimes we would give our editors garbage very you know most of the stuff is pretty good but sometimes there's this garbage bit and we're like just try to make some gold out of this <laughs> and it was fun for them to try how can we cut this up and loop it and add add things to make it a usable bit <laughs>
2: No. And do you have complete com, uh, creative freedom? You don't have any studio executives hanging around saying, no, you can't do this or I'm, do that?
5: It, creatively, uh, for the TV show and the movie, it was pretty much wide open. You know the, Everyone involved pretty much knew that if it was going to be a success, they would let us do it how we do it, which is kind of just you know Tim and I working it out, writing it, and, and yeah. working with the editors, making it good.
6: I think they're wisely... Their perspective is like where do we start where would we start you know <laughs> we have to completely deconstruct this and start from the beginning right you know otherwise it's like okay well you know we'll see see yeah. what happens
2: but you guys have done adverts before i remember reading that you've run into trouble in the past with with people when you've kind of gone a bit too far with adverts is that right or-
6: well we did those uh, a- uh, absolute vodka things with zach And uh, we were given just sort of like a lump sum of money to go and make whatever we wanted to make. And we made them and handed them in. And they were like, oh, these are hilarious, but they break every single rule of (laughs) how you're allowed to advertise. You know, you're not allowed to show people getting into fights. You're not allowed to show people drinking excessively. It's like every list, everything on the list we had broken. We didn't even know that. There was, you know, we didn't look at the rules before. We weren't trying to break them, but right, uh, they didn't care. I mean, they were like, okay, we can't put this, put this on our website, but it'll be everywhere else. Yeah, that's the idea. So, yeah,
5: yeah a good example of that is, you know, writing our stuff not, is not oftentimes funny. Yeah, uh, reading our stuff, or that we write, uh, we had this one commercial that we wrote that we wrote with some other writers, and we did a table read, and the, all the big executives were there, and at the end. It was just a silent room and one of the executives was like and where is this funny yeah
6: <laughs> how is this gonna be funny
5: and we're just like oh, "We, have, how do you, you explain this it, yeah. you know it's yeah. like trust us well it's yeah. in performances it's in our editing it's in our choices it's all that kind of stuff and uh, if someone
0: did hand you a billion dollars to make a film would you spend it as wisely as you do in the, in the
6: real film <laughs> give like 99 percent of that to charity i would think of course yeah, Get yeah. To the old actor's home the rest for later <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool uh, Tim Eric it's been a pleasure and, thank you guys uh, thanks thank for you. coming in it was fun thank you interesting guys actually Nick I was pretty terrified going into that because I thought they were going to be like ah but they, they were actually quite serious they are if you go on YouTube
2: and uh, type in Tim and Eric interview you will find some uh, some of the most insane interviews you'll ever watch and they yeah fortunately they weren't on that kind of The thought. other
0: Tim and Eric turned up last week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it was interesting, I thought. It was fun. Yeah. And I went down to uh, see the movie on the big screen of the Prince Charles the next day, and uh, it was really fun seeing it with a crowd down there. Peter Cerevinovich was there. Oh, good. He's a buddy of theirs. Yes. Um, who they might be working with on a TV show, possibly. Fantastic.
0: So, yeah. It's it a it's completely bonkers film. Yeah, it's but it It's now available on video-on-demand and DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, that's where you can see it instead of the big screen. So do check it out, but be prepared. It is full on. It is Jeff Goldblum's uh, weirdest ever performance, I think. And that's saying, that's saying a lot. Right, on to the week's movie news, such as it is, big news this week, of course, is at its new Empire time.
1: Hooray! Oh, yes. Hallelujah! Hooray!
0: This month's issue is, of course, a cracker. We've got self visit reports from Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Helm, Hooray! you wrote that? I did. You did.
1: I got to go. Hooray! Hooray.
0: Juan Antonio Bayona's The Impossible. Um, John Wright's Irish sci-fi horror grabbers, which is a very good from all reports. Mm. And an amazing winter preview that takes in everything from Django Unchained to Jack Reacher. I interviewed Lee Child for that and he was awesome. And of course, some film called The Hobbit. Now, Dan. Hello. You wrote the cover story, which is our final Skyfall feature.
3: It is indeed, yes. What, what is it? It's, well, it's kind of... Uh, I, I talked to everyone pretty much along the way. Um, uh, Sam Mendes I spoke to in the editing suite. He was... Extremely busy, but uh, squeezed me in. So uh, bless him. And um, I interviewed Daniel Craig, obviously uh, Ben Wishaw, who's lovely, uh-huh. uh, who's the new Q. Uh, Dame Judi Dench, who didn't give anything away. She's like super Stonewall, wall. Uh, was on set three times. Three times saw Silver Javier Bardem's lair in the film. <laughs> what his lair? <laughs> okay, uh, the dead city. Oh, it's a uh, big, gigantic, smashed-up statue, which we got an amazing picture of in the mag as well. So yeah, it was just kind of here, there, and everywhere with it, really. Um, but the thing, I th- the thing that I, I, I hooked onto, or hopefully hooked onto, here is, is that you know we're obviously this is the reboot franchise. You know, uh, Casino Royale marked a significant turn and a change of tone, and yet with this film, Sam Mendes is. Very deliberately going back to the pre-reboot classi- classicism mm-hmm. of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the old Aston Martin's back, the DB5. They actually have a scene with Q or Q's back. They have a scene with Q which riffs on the you know the scene in Doctor No where he's given his Walter PPK for the first time. So, you know, there's a lot of elements in it. Not like Die Another Day when the 40th Nod-nod anniversary, wink, wink. where yeah. it's all very not wink. They kind of they've got a lot of that in there, and I, I understand that. Um, even though st- there's still dark stuff happens, and obviously we've seen from the trailer quite clearly, the plot, you know, takes the fights to, to the corridors of, of MI6, or rather mm-hmm. blows up the corridors of MI6. Despite all that, there, there, there will be a lot of lighter stuff. You know, apparently we, we promise there's a bit more of the, the, the humour and banter comes back into it.
1: Isn't this kind of what Bond always does, though? It's got kind of a boom and bust sort of a cycle or a binge and purge kind of a cycle, you know? <laughs> it kind of gets bigger and bigger and broader and then it'll go all back to basics again and then it kind of gets bigger yeah. gradually and gradually and then all back to basics again
3: That's that's fair yeah. comment I'm, I, I mean I'm, I don't know what you're thinking of there but I'm thinking of from Moonraker to For Your Eyes Only Exactly yeah. uh, was, 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 was a good example um, Obviously
1: I mean Casino Royale was another example taking it stripping it right back yeah. you know the first Dalton it happened during Connery's reign I think as well It's hmm. it's you know, it's a kind of a thing that Bond has to do periodically, it seems. Mm. I think
3: there's definitely, they, 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 everyone I talk to, there's a sense of delivering what people expect because that's what they want, because it's Bond, but also doing something new mm. to, to to not just make it, you know, yet another Bond film.
0: You've and fucked everyone on that, on that film. Do you get yeah. a sense from the creative team, so not just Sam Mendes, who's obviously a hard hand in this one, but the producers, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, mm. do you get a sense from them that Quantum of Solace was seen as a disappointment. Because even though it is, in terms of box office, the biggest Bond yeah. movie ever, yeah. I believe, Yeah. Um, I think it's a movie that's diminished over time. I didn't much like it when I saw it, and it's got worse <laughs> since... Is there a sense that this movie's atoning in a way because they've ditched the quantum subplot, which yeah. lo- which surprised me, Yeah. and I felt that was a kind of reaction to the fact that maybe Quantum of Solace wasn't as well received.
3: The only, I mean, the only, it was the, I mean, Daniel Craig was has been quite upfront uh, when I spoke to him, but also in other interviews I've seen him as well that um, Quantum had its problems in that. They went into production around the time of a writer's strike. They didn't have the finished script. And he says, uh, in pretty much in our pages, that you know, you can't, you shouldn't really do a Bond movie like that. It's not the kind of film where you can be, you know, working on the script as you're going along. You need everything in place beforehand. This film had a long hiatus. You know, there was, it was in force, they didn't want it, but it's been four years now since mm-hmm, Quantum, yeah. uh, which is a long time between Bond movies. Mm hmm. And that time has actually been used, you know, for working on the script and nailing it down from the sounds of it. So um, he's, in that sense, recognised the problems with Quantum in that we don't have that problem on this film. But, uh, yeah, they don't, the producers don't tend to sort of, you know, roll their eyes and go, oh, God, we're really embarrassed by that one. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so no, that wasn't directly addressed by sure. any others.
1: Okay.
0: Do you get a sense that a quantum may come back, or is it completely dead now? They say it might. It seems strange to me that you would build up a storyline for two films and ditch it completely. Mm.
3: Yeah, they say it might, but then, you know, it's, it's never hurt Bond before. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, because I think you might have seen them all more recently. I seem to remember that From Russia With Love picked up from Doctor No, but then Goldfinger very much stepped away.
0: Uh, well, the offences of Doctor No I think are referred to in From Russia With Love, but... Yeah. You know, it's not a direct sequel. I right. mean, Quantum of Solace, for me, was the first real direct sequel that we ever had in the in the Bond universe. Mm. Um, and it it, it it built up. Maybe because the idea, maybe they didn't have an idea, and it, maybe they didn't have an end game. Yeah. Because it always seemed to me that it would lead towards a new Blofeld mm. and that, you know, Quantum would be a new Spectre. But mm. it, yeah. maybe they didn't. They might, maybe it, they didn't. They would have your... Spectre for
2: several films mm. and then they'd go away from it and come back. Right? They would, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, They might still, they
2: might just be taking a hiatus from that. And
3: also, you know, we haven't seen a film yet. Maybe there is a quantum relevant. Maybe they're just, we're all being um, smokescreened on this one. Absolutely. (laughs) And there'll be a surprise. There'll, you know, it could be a a sting at the end or something that reveals that Silver is that blowfield or. The lead bad guy's
2: Bob Quantum. (laughs) <laughs> the lead steps bad,
0: out of the shadows
1: the lead bad guy is Megatron who uh, <laughs> despite yes. us having been told he wouldn't be back returned in Transformers that's true too. that so, is absolutely know. true
0: Michael Bay looked at me and, and me. he lied to my face he said I we've, made a good film that, to that
1: face Chris mm-hmm.
0: this film is watchable Chris he said <laughs> oh. it's good oh and also Megatron's not in it liar <gasps> so we're
2: basically
0: Probably. saying Megatron is the bad guy in <laughs> yeah. Skyfall all right. well it might be I would love that okay That'd be amazing But that's uh, Okay so that's That's in the new issue Yes it is For more on Skyfall uh, With Dan's World exclusive access Pick up the new issues On sale in all good And evil news agents Whether they're Quantum affiliated or not And uh, for most iPads Across the world Sorry Australia and New Zealand You are out of our hands So so sorry about that Uh, Helen What have you got News wise
1: Uh, I have the the Very exciting news That uh, directors Have on average Gotten about 3% hotter Because (laughs) Because Ryan Gosling Ladies and gentlemen Mostly ladies Only 3% Well averaged out across all the directors In the world He's made them all On average three. Has Clint
0: Howard ever made a film Because I'll drive the (laughs) average Right back down again
1: My point being Okay sorry Ladies and gentlemen um, that uh, Ryan Gosling is turning film director and will be making his debut not with an indie rom-com or an indie drama or an indie crime thriller which we might have expected from him no, he will make his debut with a fantasy noir which I think is rather interesting.
3: It stars Christina Hendricks, doesn't it, or will it?
1: Won't it? It w- it will. It mm. won't. It will. It's it's That's certainly a good she's reportedly lined up to play the single mother of two kids, um, who oh. gets drawn into this rather bizarre fantasy slash crime and needs a man in her world. life. Wow. Uh, I think she can probably get by anyway. You uh, know, strong I woman and help. all that. I believe she can. No, I, I'm sure you'd like to, but I'm not sure she'd need it.
0: If I ever had a jazz band, I'd call it the Christina Hendricks Trio apropos of nothing
3: anyway <laughs> oh, anyway so, on to Total Recall so,
0: oh Dan what have you got <laughs> we're excited about that aren't we but he yes. doesn't He doesn't make the list of, of fit directors no because he's already an actor
1: exactly we can't have movie stars on the list of fit directors it completely skews the stats
0: okay good well, well done well done Ryan Gosling
1: yes
3: Dan hello what have you got well um, Robocop's got a new bad guy Oh, no way! Yeah, 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 yeah. I was actually quite intrigued. I was quite excited by the idea of Hugh Laurie being the uh, Dick Jones figure. I'm assuming it's the Dick Jones figure. The character's called Raymond Sellers. I think he might be a combination of of Dick Jones, who was Wendy Cox in the original, mm-hmm. and the old man. I'm I, I'm not quite clear on the details because I've not read the script. But anyway, no, it's not Hugh Laurie. The negotiations collapsed apparently with Hugh. Um, but um, and I'm actually quite excited about this. Michael Keaton. Oh, has stepped in, and I think he'd be good. I can imagine him working well. He's got that kind of hard, scary stare that he does really well. That mm. kind of that really sort of I am going to tear you a new one look, um, which uh, which I think will work very well for this. And um, I think this whole thing's shaping up quite enticingly. Um, you know, there's him, obviously Joel Kinneman's playing Alex. Murphy slash Robocop we've got Abby Cornish Samuel L. Jackson Jackie Hurley, Jay Baruchel and Michael <laughs> Kenneth Williams who is Omar from The Wire
1: and Gary oh. Oldman
3: and Gary Oldman Gary Oldman so there's yes. no because it's not
0: Murphy's the only character who's held over from the original in terms of character names yeah. so there's, there's no Clarence Bodiger no that's a shame I want I, I wanted a new Clarence Bodiger I wonder who could have done that
3: I mean you know obviously I, it's the same with any remake I'm you know I as anyone else would be and I'm torn on the one hand I'm quite excited to see what uh, I mean it's uh, am I going this right it's Jose not Jose Jose it's Jose P- Padilla Padilla Anyway. Jose Padilla um, uh, who uh, did Bus 174 which is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen wow. um, but uh, yeah he's he's the reason to be interested and hope that it rises moment. above he's no Len Wiseman um, I hope, hope it rises above you know the usual disappointing remake experience um, so yeah I'm kind of watching this one closely but you say it's coming together nicely but there's been some yeah scuttlebutt yeah scuttlebutt recently so there
0: was a, a Mm. A, a script review leaked mm. which I, 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 oh, I tweeted tweeted yes tweeted by Drew McGweenie uh, of HitFix he yeah. got hold of the script and then decided he was going to review it via Twitter which I'm never entirely sure whether I, I approve of that sort of stuff But uh, and he, he found the script to be wanting he said it was like the new total recall which we'll be discussing in due course mm. um, but that was disappointing and then was it last week Fernando Morelis yeah. who uh, is a friend of José Padilla's, um said that he was having... he basically been having a phone call from Jose Padilla mm. and uh, that Jose Padilla was uh, not happy about the way things were going. Having a mare. How, are we, how's the pronunciation, Helen? It's good. Oh, it's, it's, it's right?
1: spectacular, Chris.
3: Excellent. Good. Helen. Hi. That's good. Helen. Just making sure you got the point. Um,
1: yeah,
3: I, it, it, they haven't made the film yet. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's kind of... It's, it's always worrying when you hear noises like that, but there have been many troubled, either in inverted commas or not productions, which have turned out brilliant films. Correct. So yeah. you know, uh, it's it's then it's never a, a walk in the park making these films. They're all stressful, aren't they? Making them doesn't matter whether it's going to yeah. turn out to be
2: a good film or a yeah. bad film. They're not yeah. easy to make. And sometimes
3: so. creative tensions actually turn out good work. Yeah. So um. So yeah. It's yeah. There have been those rumours, and there are have been those those uh, problems reported. But, uh, but I am disappointed about Hugh Laurie because
2: hmm. I would like to see him play. A bad guy in a Hollywood blockbuster. That mm. sounds fun. My new story, uh, Terrence Malick's gone nuts. He's gone no mental. No way. Yep. He's cut everyone from his latest film. Everyone? Uh, yeah, so he's his new film is called To the Wonder. He's cut Rachel Weiss. That's been reported quite widely. But it's now been confirmed he's cut three more people from it. Might be you. Um, <laughs> I don't remember being in it.
1: You probably are then. It's the
2: magic of Malick. He can film <laughs> he people without. Just no, came in and filmed yeah. you when you were sleeping the other day. Uh, so Barry Pepper's gone. Michael Sheen. No longer there, <sighs> and Amanda Peet also. Now, is this confirmed? Sheen, Pete and Pepper. I'm uh, apparently, yeah.
0: Isn't this just this is just people extrapolating from the fact that it's listed on the Finnis website and they're not their names aren't in the cast list.
2: No, apparently this has been confirmed after right. that.
0: Right, that they're
3: they're cut. So I haven't got much to add, but so well, well, this is some Alex done this before. I mean, you know, there were yeah, people who thought line. they were the star of the Thin Red Line, um, uh, and <laughs> and Adrian Brody thought he was the main character in the Thin Red Line, hmm. and then it was it was it was. Ben Chaplin.
1: Uh, Jim, Caviezel. Jim Caviezel.
3: And uh who would you say was the third lead of that film? Sean Penn? I guess yeah. 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 Not yeah. and Brody was like yeah there yeah. yeah, he's gone.
2: But you got to if you're an actor signing up for one of his films.
6: Mm. It's know, a risk. How,
2: how can you? You got to know. Make sure you're going to be in it. You can't.
0: You have to be in the background of every shot. No. You can't Sean Penn was cut out yes. as for of uh of Life,
1: mm.
3: yeah. Uh, but,
1: There's a support yes. group. There's a
3: Sean Penn, Adrian Brody, the the the, the mallet yeah. cutting ream support group.
1: I think uh, John Travolta for a Thin Red Line as well was massively cut back. Yes, yeah. uh, George Clooney. Uh, George Clooney also one mm. scene.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you um, mentioned Bill Pullman already? He was cut entirely from
3: that as well. I didn't mention him.
0: Oh, okay. Bill Pullman was cut entirely from was Thin he? Red Line. Yeah. Gosh.
3: He was indeed. So starts attacking film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the image in my head okay look you can look at it from that perspective or you can look at it from another perspective, perspective sorry perspective Yeah. which is he's in hot to no one you know there's the only pressure he has is his own creativity to make it <laughs> the best story Yeah. as opposed to agents you know screaming at him I can't you know you, you, you've, if you've got my guy in your film then yeah. they've got to be in it for this number of minutes or they've got to be you know first on the credits list or this that and the other I get it, that it's just a, cutting someone completely hmm I don't know, I,
0: I wouldn't be happy about that, would you? I if guess you if, if, if in the editing suite, because I get the feeling that Malik is a guy who finds his film in the editing suite, and if it doesn't quite work, then you're not going to keep someone in for a scene just because of are a name. And I, I kind of respect that in a way. Yeah. Mm. And I think Rachel Feist, uh, she said, not not to do with fitness, but she'd heard a few months ago, I think, that she wasn't going to be in it. And she said, I enjoyed the experience of working with him, but I won't get to see the pleasure, I won't get the pleasure of seeing my, my work on screen. Mm. You know, but hey, also he could be a, like a really sharp businessman I knows that he's just stick everything on DVD and then drive
1: sales out, right?
3: <laughs> Yeah,
0: he... I
1: don't know that Terence Malick is particularly driven by those considerations <laughs> I
3: imagine not wouldn't it be great though if when we when Nick finally listens to this podcast he's no longer in it <laughs> hey
1: <laughs> wouldn't it be funny though if we cut Phil completely from this podcast that would be
3: brilliant <laughs> very good very good
0: <laughs> okay, I think we've, we've exhausted all the news Hollywood has to throw at us. I, I think that's think. it. That's it. That's, that's, it. that's right.
3: We are spent.
0: He is the law. He's also Eomer of the Rohirrim. He's boned in Star Trek. And he's Fahko in the Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, and the bloke who was in Latkar Chase in The Born Supremacy. He is, of course, New Zealand's fifth greatest export, Mr Carl Urban, the star of Dread. And he came in this week to talk to Ali and Helen. Oh, if you're wondering what the top four Kiwi exports are, it's Sam Neill, Crowded House, Flight of the Concords, and Richard Taylor.
7: Sorry, Peter Jackson. Hello. Hello, thank you very much for having me It's a pleasure to be
0: here.
1: Well, you know, it's it's been a long road, I guess, to get here.
7: Yeah, no it, it certainly has and um, you know, it's been a battle along the way too, uh, but you know thanks to the uh, the good hard work of, of Alex Garland and many others um, you know, the film has been receiving some absolutely phenomenal response and that's, um, you know, a great reward for a couple of years worth of, of hard mm, work.
1: Definitely. Now I've, I've got to ask it's been a bit of a summer for kind of masked uh, figures in cinema. You've got Practically all your face covered apart from your mouth. Um, And we also had Tom Hardy with his lower face covered. Who do you think had the hardest job out of those two? I think Bane
7: might have had the heart of one (laughs) out. But I've got one question. How does Bane eat? (laughs) I loved his work, by the way. I know I'm taking
4: the piss, but I I did love it. Smoothies or milkshakes. Yeah, yeah, I thought a lot of of protein shakes there. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favourite bits about the film, the whole dread world is the Signatured Guns mm. how did it feel to have it in your hand for the first time and did you keep it? <laughs> yeah I know I didn't I wasn't quick enough on the uh, uh, swiping that prop
7: <laughs> um, I did I, I have to confess I tried to steal the helmet three times before they finally gave it to me <laughs> I mean I was literally walking out the door with it and they, uh, we, we might actually need that for um, pickups or reshoots and uh, but they they, uh, they finally gave it to me, and I've got that now, which is <laughs> a great little memento. I
1: accepted the inevitable. Yeah. I've also got to ask about the curled lip. Did you actually get, I would have thought you'd got cramps in your face from curling your lip that way. Uh,
7: no, not, not surprisingly, no. That that uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't happen while I, while I was shooting, but um, more so when I had to um, do the, uh, you know, the poster photo shoot, ah. and then you have to stay still, and that, that was a little... Saw.
1: And how about like South Africa standing in for Mega City One? Because it's a very different looking kind of a, a post-apocalyptic city than we've seen before with the, you know, there's still sunshine, there's mm-hmm. still kind of, you know, people outside in T-shirts, but at the same time it's it's clearly that something's gone horribly wrong.
7: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the um, really interesting thing about the world that Alex uh, wrote. It it's a, it is post-apocalyptic, but and it, it is a society that is you know, teetering on the verge of collapse and, you know, it's not a shiny, walled, um, you know, futuristic glowing view. You know, it's I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a realistic treatment. It's um, it's more like slums and, you know, humanity sort of cramped together um, trying to survive and um, you know, as a consequence, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the elements that you see in the film are reflective of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Dred's uniform, for example, it's very, uh, uh, you know, realistic in terms of is a
4: guy who gets shot at every day and uh, so it was important to reflect that mm. uh, I was thinking when I watched the film uh, there was that one scene where you get to ride the motorbike how does that bike feel to ride and did you like me think it looked a little bit like a squished you know motorbike version of kit from night rider <laughs> uh the
7: bike was a lot of fun to ride i mean it was it was definitely a challenge driving a riding in a straight line was, was good you know corners could become problematic you had to start turning the corner you know 20 minutes before you actually got to the corner uh but um oh, so dread doesn't indicate so. Yeah, no, <laughs> I tell you, it was a lot of fun, you know, that was one of the most fun I had, I think, or some of the most fun I had on that shoot was uh, riding that bike in my in, in full dread uniform through the streets of Cape Town, um, and the roads were actually blocked off by, by uh, you know, South African cops, and I was like gunning it down, we were
4: just shooting the chase sequence, felt brilliant. <laughs> You've, you've done some seriously, I mean, I use this word sound like a 12 year old, but cool things over the course of your career. Was that one of them where you just said to yourself, I can't believe I'm doing this? I'm oh, absolutely. Actually-
7: yeah, there are certain points in your career where you literally you know, pinching yourself and you're saying, I can't believe they're actually letting me do this. One of them was um, doing the, uh, the Moscow car chase with Matt Damon in Bourne Supremacy, you know, actually getting to execute a reverse 180 in the middle of Moscow. <laughs> um, it was nuts, and they, and they let me do it. Um, and, of course, you know, and the other was, uh, you know, riding that lawmaster through the, the streets of Cape Town in full dread gear. I mean, that was just, you know, even for me, it was just, uh, <laughs> I got my jollies off, you know. It was awesome.
1: In, in the last few years, you know, you've played really bad guys, mm-hmm. you know, Priest and Red and Riddick and all the rest, and then you've played really good guys, and this one's, like, straight down the middle in between.
7: Yeah, to me that was always one of the interesting things about Dread is that, you know, he would oscillate in some comics... He would be you know clearly the hero and others um he he could he could be the villain you know um you know stories like america where he you know is all about the struggle for democracy in mega city one and dread is the villain in that piece and i just think that it's so courageous to you know to take your 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 creation and and change him from 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 one story to the next like that it makes for an interesting character Mm.
1: It creates a bit of tension in the film as well because there were a couple of, of scenes in, in particular early just after that chase scene that Ali mentioned where there's a, a guy holding a gun to a hostage's head and you're not quite sure what Dredd's going to do because, you know, frankly, he could kind of go either way in terms of mm. saving the woman or just kind of letting her die and getting the guy anyway.
7: Yeah, we actually, interestingly enough, um, uh, the the opening of the film was something that we shot after the initial photography um, and we shot it again for a, a multitude of reasons but one of them was for uh, the original time we shot that um, Dread actually shoots the perp through the woman and we, we decided that I maybe mean, that wasn't such a good idea <laughs> good for Alex Gullin for writing <laughs> yeah, that yeah I eh? know but that's no that's the genius of Alex you know to have you know to have the balls to write that in the first place and, <laughs> um, you know but I mean I loved it I thought it was great but no I mean it was interesting actually in, the, in that in that opening sequence as well, in Alex's collaboration with John Wagner, the creator of Dread, it was very important for John that at some point in our film we have a citizen of Mega City 1 thanking Judge Dread. Um, because he is uh, he is there to even though he's a representative of this totalitarian society, he's also there to protect the citizens of Mega City One, and so that's what we did right at the beginning. of This film was to to set up that he is that he's on the right side ultimately.
1: Desperate measures for desperate times, Indeed. I'd say. And there's a lot of um, uh, you know kind of sci-fi and, and big films like that coming out at the moment, which kind of there hasn't been. I mean, Dred's Dread's obviously a part of that, but we're seeing kind of a harder edged sci-fi blockbuster kind of contingent coming through at the moment
7: Dread's certainly um, you know at the forefront of of that movement and I think it's I think it's you know really nice that there are uh, some films like dread that have been made for a more adult audience you know there's a plethora of films that have been made you know superhero films recently that are, are squarely targeted at a young demography and I just think that um, you know it's nice to have uh, a, a, you know a more adult alternative yeah
4: I was blown away by just how full-on it was. and I don't mm. mean that in any way as an insult. It was just shocking. I couldn't remember the last time I'd seen yeah. a film quite like that. It, there, is, there is blood and guts of plenty, and mm-hmm. when you feel the fear, you feel the fear. It's not like an off-camera shot. There are occasionally moments where you go, wow, I'm yeah. seeing that. Do you feel that maybe Dread 3D will herald a new arrival of, of other comic book movies that, that have similar tones, or is Dread kind of a, a unique, uh, more violent... Oh, that's a good question. Um, I haven't
7: really thought about, uh, you know, the the sort of the impact that the movie may have mm. on, on other movies that are being made. But all I all I can say is that the thing that I really you know respect about what Alex Garland's done with this film um, is that he's taken the violence and he's treated it in rather a unique fashion. Uh, you know, a lot of films that we see, you get so desensitised to the violence you know people get shot and people get hit and you're like oh yeah but because there's a there's there's this this drug in the film that slows down time you actually get to see the full impact of you know some of the more graphic elements that that occur and to my mind what's really interesting about that is that it's reminiscent of what kubrick was doing back in the day with films like a clockwork orange where you would have some you know extremely you know violent uh, scene and he would offset that by playing you know, a weird classical piece of music or singing in the rain. Mm. Um and, and, and in the same way that, you know, in theory, because this is you know the the visual images are so beautiful, in theory it should take you out of the picture rather than engage you. But you're actually sitting there watching, you know, some pretty graphic stuff. But and and ironically, at the same time, you're going, "Wow, that is really beautiful." <laughs> yeah. it, it is twisted and it's sane, and, and um, you know, and I guess a certain amount of that is a is a testament to Alex Garland and and what he's written and his vision. But then also to our Oscar-winning DP Anthony Dodd Mantle, mm. um, you know, from he 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 films *Slumdog Millionaire*, and, and he
4: he put a huge artistic stamp on this film. Okay. I must say, I would love to see certain scenes from *Dread 3D* with *Singing in the Rain*. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wait for the sequel. Wait for the sequel.
4: I'm
0: singing in the rain. See,
1: <laughs> so you're halfway there already. There <laughs> I've got to ask as well about what what other stuff you've got coming up because I noticed quite a few uh, films kind of on the radar. Now, uh, obviously, Star Trek Two. Um, this being a J.J. Abrams film, I'm not even going to waste my breath asking for any details. Good of Good for the you. Plots or finally, any-
7: <laughs> finally, a sensible reporter. You'd be amazed at how many just try and have a crack. Yeah. <laughs> no, like do something like push a uh, a photocopy of Benedict Cumberbatch in front of me and go, "What about that guy? eh? is he, is he a villain? What's his name? What, what's he doing in the movie?" It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, what
1: I did want to know, though, was have you have you kind of ever had the discussion or made the case for any of you know any more of Bones' kind of iconic lines? Are we going to learn that he's not a bricklayer or an escalator, for example, <laughs> this time around?
7: Um. Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, you know uh, the the good thing about working with JJ is every, anything's up for grabs, and you know yeah. what's really cool about coming coming back together again and having the first film to be you know so wildly successful. Um, it was it was really a joy to continue um, to tell the story of those characters, mm. and um, I'm I'm super super excited about about that film coming out next year. It's it's going to rock.
1: Hmm. It's it just occurred to me, actually, that you and Benedict Cumberbatch are kind of crossing paths. You know, he's coming into Star Trek and mm-hmm. then into um, Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. He's going off to The Hobbit as well. Is, is all the, the Hobbit talk at the moment kind of bringing back memories for you?
7: Yeah, it, 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 it certainly is. You know, and I had such a fantastic time uh, working on Lord of the Rings. And, uh, you know, just sort of, yeah, you're right. You know, sort of hearing people's excitement and anticipation for The Hobbit, you um, you know, it does. It does bring back really good memories, and and I made, and I made some really um, strong friendships um, mm. during the making of that uh, the, that film. And um, I just I can't wait to see The Hobbit. I think it's going to be wicked.
1: Mm. Are you a bit disappointed that Emma's too young to be in it?
7: <laughs> no, certainly not. You know, I, I feel uh, I feel kind of you know really blessed and privileged to have been a part of Lord of the Rings. That's um, you know, it was such an an important. Um, uh, uh, piece of work to uh, it, you know that I'm really proud of uh, yeah. and um, you know I can't I just don't feel like the right, right to want <laughs> or expect <laughs> anything else
1: Fair enough. Um, and uh, you know in terms of other things kind of you're returning to Riddick um, mm-hmm. sequels how so has FACO changed since since we last saw him
7: yeah well um, you know uh, I play have a small part in this uh, new film I basically helped transition The Chronicles of Riddick into mm-hmm. Riddick's new adventure um, and you know, too much more I, I can't really elaborate on, except to say that I just you know had such a fantastic time working with Finn and uh, and David Tui again, and uh, and I've seen some footage from from the film and it's uh, it's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it.
1: I hear you're playing a car thief, is that right? In Overdrive?
7: Uh that's not. That's, that's not, not correct information. Okay. No. So you got to be careful of the internet. I There's know. a lot of stuff out there. It's well, this is good. Right. This is rumor
1: control, you this know. Is we can control. <laughs> How about The Loft? Is that true?
7: Is that true? Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, that's something that that was shot um uh, last year and uh, I'm looking forward to that coming out. that's okay. a bit risqué that one.
1: Yeah, it sounds it like just from the just from the synopsis a bit more sort of psychologically thrillery. Yeah. Hmm.
7: It's uh, Uh, A sexual
0: thriller
1: Steady Alright well Thank you very much Thank you very much
0: Carl Urban there And you can hear What we thought of Dread Next week Helen how was he? He was lovely Yeah? Yeah Good Alternatively you can go online Or pick up the new issue Of Empire To read my Dread review But all this talk of reviews Is making me hungry for the review section of the podcast So here we go a Big week this week Lots of films to get through Let's start with the film that's already out Len Wiseman's Total Recall Opened on Wednesday It's a remake of the Paul Verhoeven Arnie sci-fi classic From 1990 It's based on Philip K. Dix We can remember it for you wholesale And it's a mind-bending tale You know, you know the plot But anyway It's a mind-bending tale Of an ordinary guy Colin Farrell's Doug Quaid Who goes to a memory implant specialists Only to discover he just might be A deadly secret agent <gasps> Helen you wrote the glowing two star review what did you think of this one
1: I did it was a glowing two star review really I mean it was on the two three borders you know slightly on the two side of the It's dark and overlooks three stars yes it does yes Um, but basically uh, I thought this one I thought that Colin Farrell and Kate Beckinsale were both actually on really good form. I thought he was terrific. He, he's very good at these kind of haunted, slightly guilty, slightly unsure of themselves kind of characters. And and she's actually, I find, proper scary. I mean, swish, she swishes her hair about a lot and looks fabulous, but in a slightly psychotic manner. So she,
0: just- of course, uh, being Kate Beckinsale, who is the director's yes. wife in real life, yes. and she plays Colin Farrell's wife in this, yes. who starts out like Sharon Stone in the original, exactly. as all lovey-dovey, but then suddenly... Turns around and becomes psychotic. Yes, she's she's
1: she's essentially the big bad for most of the film. Mm. Even though Brian Cranston is behind her, yes. as the President CoHagan, uh, he doesn't appear on screen very much until sort of towards the end. So she does a lot of the heavy lifting, mm. bad guy wise. She's
3: more Richter, really, isn't she, than Laurie? I, kinda. Yes, yeah. Kind of. Yes, she's kind of several. Michael Ironside of this film. Yeah. Very-
1: <laughs> <laughs> she is Michael Ironside. That sounds weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's kind of taken over the sort of both roles there. Mm. Um, and I thought she was great. I just I just had problems. I think with the world and the, the, the pacing I mean the action scenes are not bad but they didn't feel revelatory either they didn't feel very original or very exciting and I think that the world itself just didn't make a lot of sense to me which meant that when it didn't start making sense to Colin Farrell um, it, I didn't care very, as much as I should have done because I thought well your world doesn't seem real anyway so the fact that you're now questioning reality just seems logical to me
2: I actually quite enjoyed the first half. There were some really nice production design touches. like There's Mm. a fridge, which is kind of a digital fridge where you can put digital photos up on it and stuff.
1: Yes, stuff like that was really good. And the
2: cell phone in the hand. There were lots of really really nice little touches like that. But the actual plot, as the film went on, Mm. I began to get more and more bored. Which is weird because
0: it's essentially the same plot, pretty much beat for beat, as the original film. Yeah, but there's a vitality to the for hope film that I thought was lacking here towards the end. And it just became quite generic, and I think there's literally a bit towards the end where Colin Farrell walks away from an explosion, and I thought, mm, <laughs> that's a, you know, surely that's that's done now after that MTV Awards thing a few years ago. Yeah. Heroes can't walk away from explosions anymore, can they? Apparently, they still. Apparently, can Apparently, they can. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was I'm like you guys. I was with it for the first two thirds, then it just got a little bit dull. Mm. Um, really. But there's some some really, really nice touches in it. Um, there's some references to the original
2: film, which are quite strange, given that the, when they've been promoting it, they've been saying it's all about the Philip K. Dick book, yeah. they're going away from that film. But there's a scene where he's walking through airport security, and they have a woman who looks exactly like the, yeah. the woman Arnie disguised himself as in the um, Verhoeven in one in the original but then the camera kind of pans past her and but she, also, was, but she but also, says I mean, two weeks
1: I, I reread yeah. the story and there's it, nothing like that it's not the same no. questions addressed it's not the same issues raised at all it's yeah. not even you know it's not even as close as Minority Report was uh, which is not saying a lot so I don't I don't think that's true I think they very much followed all the beats of, of the Verhoeven film and that's it's just really
3: like, annoying me they did that with Conan as well Yeah, when they were talking about oh we're going back to Robert E. Howard with this one and then they just remade Conan
1: yeah huh. it's pretty much the same film and i think the the only big difference here really is that in the arnie film throughout there were a lot of um issues about whether or not it's all a dream and it's all in his head Mm. and actually you can still read that film both ways i think there's a right answer but you can still read that film either way in this one apart from one moment late on there's pretty much no real question that he's actually going through what he seems to be going through and i think that's a bit of a shame
0: Len Wiseman intimated in the interview James and I did with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, which you can hear in last week's podcast, or two weeks ago, actually, sorry, two weeks ago podcast. Um, and he talked about layering it in so that he, he, he thinks it's in there. Uh, so maybe it's a film on second maybe,
2: viewing. Maybe, yeah, pick up maybe some on more the stuff, second
1: viewing I'll see that, but I certainly didn't get any of that feeling this time.
0: Yeah.
2: There are some strange accent issues, given that, yes. that it sets up right at the start that there is England and there's Australia, and that's pretty much all that's left of Earth but yeah. everyone
0: has an American accent even Bill Nighy who appears in one scene in London yeah think, because most yeah. of the film takes place in London mm-hmm. and they end up in the capital of United Federation of Britain mm-hmm. isn't that that's that's correct, correct? Uh, from the colony which is Australia and they, they take the the fall the huge skyscraper that goes straight through the earth and I think to myself the money they, that that thing took to build and the technology why didn't they just go to mars (laughs) honestly it might have been cheaper and easier um but so they end up in london and there's some really nice touches because you can still see things like signs for victoria and Foxhall and all that sort of stuff but at the same time then they take a tube ride to the contaminated zone and suddenly they're still in london where are they by that point they're nearly like
1: westminster like westminster
0: so you're thinking how what's the the sort of demarcation zone?
1: this is where my unreality thing comes in because if the whole earth is polluted or chemically polluted it seemed to be um, and they can't breathe the air but these cities don't appear to be under domes there's no obvious dome so I wasn't quite clear how the heck it wasn't traveling through the air through the water through everything it doesn't Mm. make any sense to me possibly I'm you know getting a bit too scientific about it but I find that really irritating
2: one of the things I was intrigued by before this came out was the fact Brian Cranston was going to be the big arch villain and that was a huge waste because he's barely in the film mm. and he's not particularly given anything memorable to do or
0: no he turns up snarls or something like Colin Farrell
2: um, it's really generic which makes me wonder about the Hugh Laurie thing with Robocop you know him walking away from that it's, it's, is that part maybe thing? You, know, yeah. you can't judge at this point but that's another uh, case where mm. you know You'd if it didn't
3: work for Water White it won't work for House
0: absolutely yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cranston's okay in this film he's, which is sad he's only okay but if you want to his see wig it, like, is brilliant, more than okay his wig is awesome it's a good wig <laughs> you can tell that he was filming it during breaking, during a Breaking Bad moment I think or during a hiatus or something but yeah uh, so yeah we gave it two stars as you can probably tell yeah that's just about right I'd say maybe a low three as we'd sometimes say in Empire Parlance a mm. low three but pushing yeah. it for the fridge yeah pushing it for the fridge done uh, moving on next up we have the latest in a glut of wedding comedies what was one we had a couple of weeks ago the wedding video the wedding video We've coming up the knot The knot, and there's another one called the big wedding coming and up also as well. the
1: bachelorette from the US as well
0: it's almost as if a wedding themed comedy was successful last year
1: and people are what, trying to cash in on that success don't be silly guys! No, no, crazy.
0: crazy um, A Few Best Men from Brazil Queen of the Desert director Stephen Elliott is an Oz based comedy with a largely British cast including Chris Marshall and Kevin Bishop who play a gaggle of best men in the build up to a disastrous wedding Helen mm. this one does not look good
1: I, it didn't look good to me either and I sat through it um, I, I will admit <laughs> there were other people laughing but I just they thought, Chris Marshall, Kevin Bishop, <laughs> and Stephen Elliott. I just thought I just thought this one was was pretty disappointing. Actually, it just um, it, it felt like it was recycled from a whole bunch of better comedies, kind of stitched together. It had, you know, uh, elements of, of you know the Hangover and, and Bridesmaids and the Wedding Crashers and all of these kind of comedies, but isn't as good even as the Wedding Crashers. I didn't think. I just find it really unlikable. I didn't care about any of the characters. I mean, and you haven't mis- mentioned. A I mean, there's people in there like Rebel Wilson from Bridesmaids uh, directly. Uh, Olivia Newton-John plays the mother of the bride. Um, You have this whole sort of subplot about her family being into Australian politics and there being kind of issues about, you know, how the wedding is perceived by people around them. And there's just there's a lot going on. And I didn't find any of it funny or charming, basically, I think is, is essentially what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it was just not very good. It felt low budget. It felt kind of cobbled together. And now this may just be the cinema that I saw it in, but in the cinema I saw it, the groom who's played by Xavier Samuel and the bride who's Laura Brest, who looks like kind of an Australian Rosamund Pike, um, all of their dialogue pretty much sounded like it had been ADR'd in afterwards. Like it was dubbed in and badly dubbed in. (sighs) And I couldn't figure out why, because, you know... It, I don't know why they would do that but it, it all sounded really bizarre to me so I just I didn't I didn't click to this at all I didn't we gave it two I thought it was more like a one ooh sorry
0: damn it but yeah, every clip I've seen of it looks absolutely dreadful. So uh, best avoid. A few best men, sadly. Uh, and next up is a film I thought was a joke when I first heard the title, and I guess it kind of is in a way. Um, but where it is turned out okay. Cockneys versus zombies does exactly what it says in the tin. It pits East End's finest <coughs> against an army of the brown bread, or unbrown bread, I guess, because they're undead. You see. Cast features Alan Ford, Harry Treadaway, Michelle Ryan, Honor Blackman, and the great Richard Breyer So, what's this one like?
1: I quite enjoyed this. I have to say it's quite, it's like in in the way that I just said, you know, that a few best men didn't have anybody likable in it. This one kind of does. Yeah. Um, as well as those people I should mention, uh, Georgia King is in it, who's a kind of up and coming young Brit actress. She's been kind of supporting roles usually as, as the bitchy character in a, in a bunch of things. And she's quite likable here as well. What's nice here is that you've got a divide between the younger and the older generation. So you've got, you know, uh, Harry Treadaway leading the younger Folk on basically a bank raid because they're trying to steal money to fund their grander's old people's home, and oh, so that's right, yeah. Alan Ford and his mates, Honor Blackman mm-hmm. and Richard Briers. Always like trying a bit to, of Alan Ford, exactly. He's yes. he's proper in it. So they're kind of trying to keep that open. So there's a there's a nice tie in between the two, but it also gives you two different kind of zombie fights because you've got the young mm. people running around with guns and you know punching things and running and then you've got people on you know Zimmer frames and uh who are a lot frailer and uh, you know still trying to fight off the, the hordes so it just it gave it a nice kind of contrast and for my money it's not Shaun of the Dead but it's probably the closest we've come in a British horror comedy since Shaun of oh. the Dead
0: so certainly not lesbian yeah. vampire killers then. it's certainly not lesbian wow. vampire
1: killers it's not strippers versus werewolves you know it's a, it's a good few steps up higher than those
3: oh, cool. awesome. can I can, do, you, do you want some trivia yeah go on do you want on. Some, some zombie related trivia yes, obviously please. this is Cockneys versus zombies yeah. do you know what the working title was for the game Plants versus Zombies no what they wanted to call it Lawn of the Dead
1: <gasps> that would
3: have been yes. so good but they couldn't get the rights 28 Daisies Later very good <laughs> very good but uh, actually, you know, call I, I think Plants vs. Zombies was the working title they wanted to call it Lawn of the Dead and then they right. went back to the working they said oh let's call it that and now everything's something versus something right as a result so there you go that's amazing yeah I like Lawn of the Dead I, w- I would download Lawn of the Dead yeah it's good isn't it
0: Plants vs. Zombies trivia uh, here's another bit uh, Paddy Constantine plays it on his iPad oh
1: amazing Just trivia a moment you're think learning think about, so much think about that
0: people technically that's Plants yeah. vs. Zombies
3: HD that is true that is true does anyone else have any plans versus a zombies trivia I'm all out well they were uh, they were gonna have zombie children in it and they decided not to because they thought that might be a bit too too sick amazingly Dan did have more plans vs. zombies
0: trivia Ooh. okay uh, I think it's probably time to move on uh there's a whole host of horror movies out this week sadly no plans vs. zombies a movie uh movie studios are clearly mistaken august 31st for October 31st and releasing all their scary films obviously the most terrifying of them all uh, it's still in release It's Keith Lemon the film uh, But Wreck Genesis Is a sequel to the excellent Wreck movie So it deviates from the stylistic Found footage template But still delivers loads of gore Ultimately though It's slightly disappointing And we gave it just two stars It's uh, a shame uh, There's also the Sam Raimi produced Possession thriller Which is called The Possession uh, We haven't seen that one yet So I think Kim Newman's going to be To the cinema today And the review should be up On the website today because he's Kim Newman and he's superhuman uh, and then there's the excellent Barbarian Sound Studio in which Toby Jones is a sound engineer who goes to an Italian studio to work on a horror film and slowly goes do Lally does some of the best sound design of the year I hear
1: ooh mm, as well good. it
0: should really indeed uh, we give it four stars which means it's actually the best movie of the week so go and check that one out it's from Warp Films and so support your local British film company that's it for this week join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be discussing the likes of Anna Karenina Uh, Dread Lawless and Adam Sandler's Last My Boy Unbelievable We'll also be talking to Lawless writer director team Nick Cave and John Hillcote So until then it's uh, goodbye from Helen Goodbye (laughs) Goodbye from Nick Oh bye Goodbye from Dan Farewell Christopher And of course goodbye from me See you next week